One thing I've noticed about myself in giving talks is I, I like audience interaction more than I realize. So we're going to interact today. Yay! <laughs> and I might call on some of you and embarrass you to death. So Jackie, be prepared. <laughs> I would call on you no matter where you are in the room. Oh, thank you. Well, today... We're going to look at passion and honesty, but I think in a way that we don't usually look at passion and honesty, so it won't be your typical passion and honesty talk. Yesterday I was looking at Acts, because to me the book of Acts is all about passion, the passion of the disciples that they had for Christ. I try to go through every single chapter, and that's really hard in one day to go through the whole book of Acts. What I found was interesting, and I'll just read through what I have written. In Acts 4, Peter and John were put into jail. But the number of Christians grew to 5,000 that day. Then Peter and John were threatened and released. And Acts 4.29 says, this is uh, the disciples after, or after Peter and John had gone back to their homes. They had prayed with everyone. They, and this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Isn't that crazy? They just got out of the prison and the people were threatening them. What do they do? They just go and they pray and they said, Lord, help us to speak more boldly now. Acts 5. Again, they were thrown in jail. And Peter was. And he had a miraculous release. And he was told to stand in the temple courts the next morning to preach. So he did. He stood in the temple courts the next morning to preach. This is after he was just imprisoned. Again that day, he was arrested, threatened, flogged, and then released. And I don't think it was probably very fun to him, for him to be flogged, right? But after that, in Acts 5.42, it says, Day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that is in Christ Jesus. In Acts 6, it talks about Stephen being arrested. In Acts 7, it talks about Stephen, even though he was arrested, he starts sharing the good news with these people that were very angry with him. And they eventually stoned him to death. In Acts 8, because Stephen was stoned to death, persecution broke out and scattered all the Christians. And it said in 8.4 that those who had been scattered preached the word whenever, wherever they went. So even though they were scattered, they just, it was like they got scattered and they're like, hey, let's go preach again, you know, let's go share the good news again, you know. In Acts 12, James was put to death with the sword. Peter was imprisoned and then again miraculously released. In Acts 12.24, it said, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Last summer and the summer before, we got to go to Greece and got to see these cities that Paul went to. And when Paul first got into Greece, he stopped in Philippi, and they kicked him out of the city. They actually flogged him and then kicked him out of the city. In Thessaloniki, he started preaching, and he got kicked out again, and then on and on. So it was like he would go to one city, he would start preaching, sharing the good news, people would get saved. He would get persecuted. He'd move on to the next city and do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. When Paul was in prison later on in the chapter, he didn't stop sharing. He shared with the people on the ship. He shared with the people that imprisoned him. He went to prison for the very purpose of sharing the good news. And we look at these people and we're like, wow, that, those people are superhumans. How many people think, those people are superhumans. I can never be like that. This is why Acts... It's a book of passion to me, is because these people never stopped. They understood something that a lot of us don't get nowadays, and we'll go into that later on. So the last few weeks, we've talked about a few things. We've talked about brokenness, not living a double life, 
We've talked about striving for holiness. We've talked about being excited for Jesus. <laughs> we've talked about walking by faith. And this weekend, what are some things we've talked about? We've talked about humility. And we've talked about cultivating a heart for God, right? Here's a verse that we've hit a lot the last few weeks, specifically in Leah's talk and Nate's challenge at night. It's Romans 12:11. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This verse is actually a command for us to be passionate. And what passion basically means is purpose or your energy of action. So we live for what we're passionate about. So if we are passionate about Jesus, we're going to live for Jesus. Here's a question for you. Okay, how many of you would say that you're glad to be a Christian but you don't want to live for him. Would anybody? Any takers? Does anybody not want to live for him? That's a Christian? It's kind of a silly question, right? So I, I think everyone in this room has good intentions. They desire, truly desire to be passionate about Christ. I don't think there's anybody that is like, ah, no. You know, I'm glad to be a Christian. I'll use him for, you know, my own needs. But I don't, I don't want to live for him. I don't think that's the truth. So, one thing I want you guys to think about is how many of you feel like you're not living the victorious Christian life that you were called to live? I know some of you don't really want to raise your hands because you might embarrass yourself, but I think in our hearts we feel defeated a lot of the times. And this is what I want you to be thinking about during this talk. Russ always asks, what does it take to start you and what does it take to stop you? And I want you to be thinking about that. What is stopping me? and being passionate about Christ, and what do I need to start to be passionate about Christ? There's one thing that stops us, and here's your answer, okay? It's a really simple answer. As soon as you figure out what I'm drawing, I want you guys to call it out, okay? It might be hard, so, you know, hard to think here. The thrones! Wait, the, the circle of your life? Oh, you got it. Okay, this is a simplified version. I've, I've cut up the, this circle right now because we're just going to focus on these circles real quick. So, you cross-training people. What does it take to get from this circle you look at, to this circle? No, that would be going back. <laughs> we're going from this circle to this circle. Okay, now I know you guys think you know everything there is to know about sin, right? <laughs> now, I know sin, we think of sin as kind of a basic, oh, I wish there was more of an answer to why I'm not always passionate about Christ. But there's some things about sin that we don't really realize, I think. I know that we think, oh, yeah, sin separates us from God. We can't have a right relationship with God when we sin. And as a Christian, we still sin, but we have grace and on and on, right? But there's some things about sin that we don't understand, I think that keeps us in bondage. Let's look at Romans seven eighteen through 20. It says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So there's this dilemma here. This is what we want, but this is what we keep doing. And we keep living this yo-yo Christian life. One thing that Jesus said about sin is in John 8:34, it says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What Jesus says is that if you sin, you're a slave to sin. 
And how many of you would like that idea of being a slave to sin? This is the reason why we're in bondage to sin as Christians. In Hebrews 3.13, it talks about being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's something about sin that we don't realize. And when I was studying this, it just hit me how much sin is so terrible in our lives, you know. Sin is deceitful. Everything about sin in our lives is deceitful. And here's why. Sin, it lies to us by thinking sinning is more pleasurable than giving our lives to God. That sin brings more freedom than what is right. For example, here's some reasons that we remain unforgiving. A lot of times we think it's too hard to go and forgive this person. It's too hard to deal with this situation. And I know some of you in this room have experienced this in roommate situations and friends. I don't want to go talk to this person because it's too hard. And so I'm going to remain in this uncomfortable situation with all this pressure in my life instead of dealing with what would be the most free. Does that make sense? Does everybody understand? Or demanding our rights. I've I've talked to some of you about this. This whole issue where I'm going to demand my rights, like in roommate situations where we're like, this is what I deserve. I deserve my roommates to treat me like this. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to get mad when they don't give me what I want, when they don't give me what I believe I deserve, instead of laying those down and being like, you know, I'm going to serve. I'm not going to worry about my rights getting trampled on. And that is what brings freedom. But instead, we lie to ourselves, thinking that demanding our rights brings more freedom. Our problems in our life remaining unfixed. Or that sin brings satisfaction. Over and over again, it talks about sin is pleasurable. And we think that. We're like, ooh, this is a lot of fun to keep on doing this. But in reality, it brings a lot of condemnation and guilt. And that is the huge thing about sin is Jesus does not bring condemnation and guilt. We lie to ourselves and we say, well, if I believe in Jesus, then I'm going to have a lot of guilt in my life because of all these morals that I'm going to have to follow, right? But that's not the truth. The truth is that when we're not giving our lives to Jesus, this sin in our lives brings so much condemnation and guilt. That is when we're most guilty. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So guilt does not bring freedom. Only godly sorrow brings freedom. And it leaves no regrets. So if we give our lives to Jesus, and he has completely washed us free from sin, then that's going to leave no regrets. So can you imagine, think about all the bad things you've done in life, the things that you're ashamed of. The Bible says that true repentance leaves no regrets. That means there's no more shame, right? But we lie to ourselves and we think that I have to feel guilty. I have to be condemned. But that's not the truth. One thing that sin does in our lives feels like we have to hide it and that we're all alone and that it has to be secret. That all these problems in our life, well, nobody will accept me if I share what I'm feeling, if I share my secrets, the things that I've done, right? So once again, so sin brings so much bondage, so much condemnation, so much aloneness. Sin lies to us by us believing that God's commands to us are burdensome. I remember Nadine said this one time, and that it's found in 1 John where it says God's commands are not burdensome. And I remember it's in five, verse, chapter 5, if you guys want to know. It's the before I obey his commands that are burdensome. Does that make sense? Because I'm struggling and I'm refusing to obey, and that's when I'm most burdened by his command. It's not because... I'm doing that command that's being a burden, but it's because I'm refusing to follow what God wants. That's where the burden lies. 
And sin deceives us by making us believe that it's what God wants us to do that's the burden in our lives. A lot of times, it tricks us to think that we are doing great things for God without doing anything at all. So we're sitting here, maybe we're reading our Bible, you know, praying a little bit every now and then. But, and we think we're like so, so great with God, you know, oh, God and I are tight right now, you know, but I'm sinning, right? And so that's making my fellowship with God a little bit skewered. But I don't recognize that because I'm hardened. I'm hardened by sin, and it's lying to me. One thing, it says in Proverbs 19.3, and I read this the other day, and it just hit me. So let's look at Proverbs 19.3. It says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. So basically what that means is, I'm going to justify myself and blame everybody else for my actions and the things that are going wrong in my life. And that's what sin does. It makes you want to be like, everybody else is at fault for my problems and my choices and my decisions and my sin. And ultimately, you blame God. You're like, all these bad things are happening to me. It's God's fault. But we fail to realize that you reap what you sow. So in our lives, we think that by justifying ourselves, it's going to bring freedom. But instead, it brings, once again, it brings condemnation. We trick ourselves into believing that we're not sinning. But in fact, we are. It says in the Bible that if we claim to be without sin, we're calling God a liar. And the truth isn't in us. When you're trying to justify yourself and you're blaming everybody else for your sin, you're calling God a liar. That's pretty tough. But sin tricks us. Tricks us into believing that it's better to justify yourself without realizing that Jesus has that justification that we so long for for ourselves. The biggest thing, I think, that keeps us from being passionate about Christ is that we believe this lie that we can't overcome our sin. And I know in my own life, and I'm sure everybody else here knows that what that feels like, to believe that there's this issue in my life that God is not big enough to deal with, that I can't deal with. So you know what? I'm just going to give up, and I'm going to keep living like this. And that keeps us in so much bondage, so much bondage. The truth is, is we don't have to live like this. Christ has set us free, and we'll go over that in a minute. One thing, kind of on a lighter note, how many of you like running in here? Besides Joel, and, oh, you like running? A few of you like running. Well, for me personally, I absolutely despise running more than any other kind of exercise. <laughs> I despise it. In fact, if someone tells me to run, I'd rather not exercise at all than go running. I hate it that much, and Nate, Nate can testify to that issue. He tried, he's tried over and over again to get me to run, and he gave, it, he gave up. He doesn't try anymore. But I hate it. I hate it. But the crazy thing is, is I'm not in that bad of shape. I'll go hiking up Twilight Peak out back with a backpack on my back and want to be the first one to get there and kill myself trying to be the first to get there before I'll go running. (laughs) I prefer to go on an eight-hour backpacking trip than go running. I have no excuse not to want to run, but I just hate it more than anything. And why why do you think that is? (laughs) It hurts really bad. What? The action of having to do it. Joel, what does it take to be a good runner? In your life, did you like running at first? Um, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I like my old, like, I did it cross country as like, I tried it out. And then uh-huh. It took me like the whole season to actually like it. Uh-huh. And but I started to get good at it, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't that you were in bad shape, right? What was it? Um, 
I just didn't know how to do it or how to train myself. To do it. mm-hmm. It's like a mind game, right? Yeah. Right? And this is what it is all about. The Bible tells us to take our thoughts captive and submit them to Christ, right? So it's, it's almost like we play these mind games with ourselves, and unfortunately, we deceive ourselves all too often to believe that we can't overcome our sin. But in reality, have you ever heard that Christianity is a discipline? What a discipline means is it means the opposite of instant gratification. Okay? So Jesus is working in our lives to help us overcome sin, right? But a lot of times we're, we pull ourselves away from his work in our lives because we want to remain in bondage to our sin. The side of us that wants to please God wants to remain in bondage, but the other side of us is like, this is safe. This is what I know, unfortunately. So it is a mind game. And a lot of times in the Bible, it talks about Christianity being a race. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And it talks again about it in Hebrews 12.1. It talks about, let us run the race with perseverance. Okay? So God knows that this is not going to be always an easy trial. It's not like it's going to be instant gratification. I'm through with struggling with sin. It means that you have to be passionate about, enough about Christ, that you are willing to do what it takes to overcome your sin. Let's go back to the apostles. And think about people in your lives that you think of as superhuman Christians, right? We think of the apostles as that. I think of Bill Bright as that. Billy Graham as that. Mother Teresa. But what, isn't it something about these people that are like, these people are so passionate. What is it? Why, can, why do they seem to be getting it right? And I don't, you know. Don't you ever wonder that, right? The thing about these people is they were not enslaved to sin. Okay, the reason why the apostles did what they did was because they are not enslaved to it. They believed that it was impossible for God to lie. And you want to know what the truth is? Read it here. This Bible says exact opposite of everything that you believe about your sin. And if you trust God and you walk by faith, you will not believe that God is lying to you. In 1 John 3.3, 3, it says that whoever has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, if God cannot lie, then that verse is true. So the more I know him, and if I have this hope in me, I'm going to purify myself just as Jesus is pure. And to me, that's like, that verse can never happen. I can't be pure, right? But it says, it says we can. It says that we can overcome our sin. I mean, God can't lie, right? So that verse has to be true. Isn't that amazing? And this is what the apostles did. This is the reason why they were superhuman Christians. It's Galatians 5.16. It says, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Okay, the reason why that they looked like they were superhuman is because they had a super God that was working through them. That's what it's all about. It's not about you. It's not about you living your life anymore. It's about giving your life 100% to Christ, trusting Him, walking by faith. Remember Galatians 2.20? It's um, every day I live in the body, I live by faith in Christ Jesus. It's, it's a walk by faith. I'm going to trust that what He says is true, and I'm going to apply what I know. Let's look at Romans 6.18-22. It says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to end slavery to impurity, 
and ever in, into ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery, slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the deal. Don't offer yourselves to lies anymore. Don't believe them. Take your thoughts captive and submit them to Christ. You know, offer your body as slaves to righteousness. Give yourselves completely to God. John 8.32, Jesus is speaking. And if you guys want to read a really cool chapter in the Bible, read John 8. Jesus says some really cool stuff about himself in there. But in John 8.32, he says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it's really interesting. This is that word know, and that you will know the truth. That word know, it's an incomplete knowledge. So it's not even that we have to have a complete knowledge of the truth, and the truth will set us free. And it's so true. When we start believing the truth, those things that were holding us bondage, we're set free from that. There's something that the disciples understood that a lot of us don't, and that is how amazing Jesus is. A lot of times, if we're not passionate about him, it's because we don't understand how incredibly amazing it is, because we're, once again, we're in bondage to sin. Uh, it talks about, in the Bible, it talks about the seraphim who worship God, and they go around God, and they cry, holy, 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 all day long for eternity. And the reason that is, I've been told, is that every time they go around, they see a new aspect of God's character that they've never seen before. And imagine, they're going to be doing this for all of eternity. Now that is a pretty amazing God, that there is no end to how amazing He is. Ephesians 3.11, Paul is talking about what his purpose in life is, and it's to preach about this. is to preach about the unsearchable riches in Christ. Think about that for a second. Who Jesus is is unsearchable. What he has for you is unsearchable. There's so much that he has to offer you that you can't even begin to figure out all of what it is. If you really figure this out, if you really figure out how incredible, amazing Jesus Christ is, then you will be passionate for him. Then you will be walking in truth. Then you will be walking in freedom. The disciples replaced their bondage and self-condemnation and guilt for freedom, grace, and satisfaction. That we can have that too. It's not the disciples that can only be the ones that are superhuman Christians. But it's every one of us in this room. The same God that worked in their lives back then is the same God today. And Jesus says he does not change. So they were willing to do whatever it took. And they stood firm in their freedom. Let's look at Galatians 5.1. It, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So stand firm in your freedom. You don't have to believe lies. Sin is so deceptive, you don't have to believe it. Jesus wants you to be free. That's the whole reason he came here, so you wouldn't be enslaved by this, this junk in your lives that brings guilt and self-condemnation and fear. Think about it. We don't have any fear of death. Maybe it'll be a little scarier like leading up to it, but we don't have fear of death. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to me when I die. I know what's going to happen to me when I die. Be disciplined. Right there it says stand firm. Stand firm. If you want the answer to be passionate, stand firm in your freedom. Remember what Paul said. He said, I beat my body and make it my slave. So we have this idea that for some reason letting our flesh gain control is more satisfying. It's more freeing. But in fact, it says in Christ, I can do all things. So we have the ability, because we're walking by faith, 
to be able to make our bodies submit to us, to make our desires submit to us, to make our thoughts submit to us. We don't have to live like this. Jesus has the effect on people. Every single one of you follows Jesus because you know the effect he has on you. He infiltrates every single aspect of your lives. Wouldn't you say? Everything. He affects my relationships with people. He affects my attitudes and my desires and my purpose in life. Everything is changed because of him. There's not one thing that remains the same in any of our lives because of Jesus Christ. And Jesus had that same effect on the apostles, and this is why they were passionate, because they knew who they served. They knew who they served. I wanted to go through as much of the Bible as I could just to see all the things that Jesus says about himself and all the things that he has for us. And I got really overwhelmed because, like it says in Ephesians 3.8, the unsearchable riches in Christ. So I read a few verses, in, or read like a chapter in John, and then tried to go through the book of Second Corinthians, and I got overwhelmed because there was just so much stuff about who Christ is. But I want to read a few things that he says and that others say about him. In John 5.17, it says, My father is always at his work until this very day, and I, too, am working. So it's like he never stops working for us. He never stops working in people's lives. We can always count on him. He gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. He has the ability to judge us because he judges us correctly. Do you ever have this feeling that people are judging you and you know it's incorrect? Well, the cool thing about Jesus is that he knows you completely so he can judge you correctly. Jesus says of himself, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and who believes in me will never go thirsty. He says he will satisfy you. And I know that when I am passionate about Christ, when I am not living lies, not believing lies, then I am satisfied. It's only when I'm living in bondage that I'm unsatisfied. And Jesus says in John 6:37, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So... You don't have to worry about him not accepting you. He says he'll never drive you away. Isn't that cool to know that he's never going to do anything that would cause us to mistrust him, to cause us to want to leave him? John 6:47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. That's pretty cool. He conquered death, and he's going to conquer death for me. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about through Christ our comfort overflows. So not only does he want to help us out in life through purpose and other things, but whenever we're downhearted or depressed or sad, it says that his comfort overflows to us. That's pretty amazing, right? It says in 120, there's no duplicity in Christ. He is faithful to keep his promises. So he's not going to be unfaithful. He makes us competent. A lot of times we feel that we're not good enough. Well, he makes us good enough. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're being transformed into his likeness because of his work through us. We get to understand the glory of God. We get to understand we get to have a small understanding of God like we've never had before because of Christ. His life is at work in us. And this is amazing. If we are passionate about him, his love will compel us to love others, to minister to others. Isn't that cool? Imagine someone that loves you so much that you'd be willing to do anything for. That's pretty amazing. It says we are a new creation. Basically, we get a clean slate. We get to start again. We are reconciled to God. And now we get to share in being able to bring hope to others. It says that God comforts the downcast. And in our freedom that we will have no regret. And that's in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow leaves no regret. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. That he is enough. That you don't need anything else. And in 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, Jesus guards what we entrust to him. We can trust him with our lives because he's going to guard it and protect it. 
It says in Romans 8, 31 and 32, If God is for us, who can be against us? He will not withhold anything, but graciously gives us all things. Not only are we his child, but he's really, really generous to us. And this whole semester, I've always been completely amazed at how generous God is to me. Over and over again, he doesn't withhold anything from me. He's just so generous to me. I like this part in John 21, 25. It says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Jesus impacts our lives so much on this planet that there is no end to how much could be written about him. And he continues to do it. In my own life, I don't think I could have an end of what he's done in my own life. He is so real. He's more real than any human being on this planet. He is the definition of what real is, what a real life, what real satisfaction is. And if we are passionate and give our lives for him, we will understand how many riches he has. The cool thing is, guys, is that we're here. We have this relationship with him. So stand firm in your freedom. If you aren't passionate for Jesus, it's because you are hardened by sin. And that's the bottom line. So don't sell yourself short. You have freedom and walk in it. I thought about this analogy of what this is like. And it's like you're a bird in a cage. And I used to have birds and I would let them out, but they would want to go back to the cage because that was comfortable, that was secure, that was safe. That's where the food was, that's where they were satisfied. But in reality, those birds would probably have been a lot happier had they been flying around outside with freedom. And it's like our lives. We're a bird in a cage, but Jesus has set us free, but we keep going back to the cage. But birds are meant to fly, and humans are meant to have a relationship with God and not live in bondage, not live in a cage. And Jesus has opened the door. You don't have to remain in the cage. My question to you is, are you going to fly? Are you going to be free?